I'll always remember my grandmother saying, never forget Jesus loves you, sugar. My name is Kathy, and this is my comeback story. The earliest memories I have of my childhood were very happy. Um, I was born into a military family. I'm one of four siblings. I'm the oldest girl. Our life was good. My parents' marriage was very happy. We lived in Germany a little while, came back to the States, and, and thankfully we spent most of our time at Fort Benning, Georgia. Our youngest years as kids, my dad was gone quite a bit, so my mom was the, the center. In the spring of 67, my mom had to go into the hospital for surgery, and due to complications from anesthesia, ended up in a coma. And those first couple of weeks, we didn't hear anything about what actually happened except my dad came and took us one at a time to the hospital to see her. And I remember going in to see her in the hospital room and being afraid. She didn't, she didn't look like herself. Um, her eyes were open. She was not on life support. She was just in a coma. And I can remember putting my hand on her arm and her looking at me and crying. And that stuck with me for years. So anyway, after that time, I didn't realize at that time when we saw her, when I saw her myself, that it would end up being the last time I ever saw her. At the end of three years, she died. She was 35 years old when she died. I remember um, caring so much about my dad and my siblings. So it was just a time of, it felt like the lights had gone out in our home um, where there used to be warm light and lamps and it just stopped. And, and to this day, I don't like just overhead lights in my house. I want lamps on and candles lit and, and just, I want a home. My dad was devoted to his career. He did the best he could to continue to make a home. I'm most grateful that my dad kept us all together. I remember at that time, so desperately wanting to be part of families. I so vividly remember, I didn't want to go home and I hoped that they would invite you to spend the night. Um, there were experiences in some of those sleepovers and times at friends' houses where I was abused. And it was a very scary time. I, I believed you were supposed to trust adults, that you could trust adults. Those were just things I carried with me for a long time. And the next time it happened, it just gets to where you wonder what you're doing to attract that kind of behavior. I believe as a child, that's what I did or felt like I was doing something just to bring it on myself. I also babysat quite a bit and truly wanted my own family. I wanted my own children. That became my dream to have my own family, to build my own home. Shortly after my mom died, my, my dad remarried. They had a child together, and we ended up moving to New Mexico. They ended up divorcing within six months. School was um, a place to go to, to belong and be a part of. It was kind of a respite from home. When my dad was gone, our home, our house became the party place, um, the fun place. So alcohol, some drugs, unhealthy relationships developed. 
um, more sexual abuse occurred. Um, there was rape. Um, again, those are things you didn't tell anybody about and you just carried with you. I was looking for anything that wouldn't make me feel loved and accepted, worth something. It seemed as though I would do anything to get that and believe anything to get that. Um, as I got closer to adulthood, still in my late teens, I had just gotten out of a relationship that had been um, kind of a long-term relationship and it ended uh, badly. There was um, betrayal and um, then I met someone who was just different than anyone else I had ever known. And he was uh, kind and did very considerate things for me. We were just getting to know each other and little did I know when we met and started to get to know each other, I was pregnant from my previous relationship. So a little bit of time went on when it finally started dawning on me that I was pregnant and I figured um, that would be the end of the relationship. Anyway, I told him about it. We talked about it. We have decided that we are gonna continue to date and, and spend time with each other and just see where it goes. Um, when I first met his mom or was supposed to meet his mom, she absolutely welcomed me with open arms and his family was very supportive. They were Christians. They felt like we needed to get married before the baby was born. So we did and we got married a month before my oldest son was born. You know, it looked like all of a sudden that my dream just might come true, that things were going to work. And I, I very much remember as soon as I got into it, jumping in with both feet, with all my heart. And we continued um, to grow our family. Um, I, I had a miscarriage before we had our second child. Uh, there were actually two miscarriages between um, my second child and my third. And I do remember even thinking that some of my choices that I had made throughout my life were, were the result. I still had so much, so much baggage within me, so much that I'd never talked about that my husband and I never talked about. As, as time went on, um, we, just, we just became more involved in church. It was good times. Um, our home had a lot of happiness in it. I became a Christian at about 26. I could not get enough of God's Word. It's like something I'd been hungry for all my life. I went to a retreat and I heard a woman whose children were grown, but she started talking about their lives when they were little kids and that she had prayed over them every night. And I so strongly believe God put that on my mind and on my heart. And I went home and I did it. And I, I can be so ADD and so scattered, but that is one thing that by the grace of God, I stuck with in my children's life. And I would pray over them out loud so they could hear me. In praying over my kids, um, I began at some point to start praying for their future wives. Whatever it was, I prayed that God would protect them, that they would, that they would come to know Jesus, that they would love Him. Even in all of that, there were there was so much about being a mom, being parents, having children, raising them that, that all seemed to be going really well. But there was just this continuous undertone of the baggage that was still there. Just the trauma that doesn't go away. It seems to constantly have a memory in your body. 
and um, different things happen that trigger that trigger things like that. But we continued on, and then in the fall of of '94, I was 35, it's the same age as my mother was when she died, and I got up one morning and was just feeling a little tired. A friend had come over to visit. I was just not feeling really well and went back into my bedroom. And the next thing I remember, I woke up on the bathroom floor. Um, I was just, there was blood everywhere. And I remember just, I was so weak. I was trying, I could hear when I woke up, I could hear my friend calling my name because she really wasn't quite sure where I had gone. But as I lay there listening to her, I couldn't, say here I am or anything I couldn't lift my finger I was just paralyzed she found me um, on the bathroom floor and went to the phone um, to call 911 and to get an ambulance got to the emergency room there in town two doctors there um, one of them saying that um, didn't think I was going to make it I could hear my friends out in the waiting room I could just hear their shock and uh, ended up spending several days in ICU. It took a while to even figure out where the blood was coming from. When I got out of the hospital, I could not wait to get home and sleep in my own bed. And I just thought everything would be fine. I had been away from my kids for days. I'd never done that. Um, once I got home, was in my own bed, that just began a long journey um, into depression, anxiety, insomnia. I was terrified to fall asleep and afraid I would die in my sleep. I was sick on the inside. I think everything from my life up to that point. And I just kind of went into a, just a deep dive of depression. And even thinking at times as I read my Bible and even thought of taking my own life that, that God would understand that. But I was trying to find some way to just get out of where I was. And yet the thought of taking my own life, beginning to think that my family would be better off without me. It was a bad time, it was a hard time. Um, and that's not even doing it justice. Um, the few times that I did go to church, I felt like, as I sat there, I felt like each moment was an hour long that I had to continue to sit there because all I wanted to do was get up and scream. I didn't deal with pain well. I didn't deal with, um, I didn't know how. And I'd been doing whatever it took most of my life, whether it was drinking, whether it was getting heavily involved in everything I could, my kids, everything. No one on the outside knew to what extent things had deteriorated in our family. In the spring of 2000, I met someone um, there was there was an immediate connection and the more time we spent together feelings started to develop, to develop within a year I decided to leave my marriage that this was this was what I wanted we told the boys that we were getting a divorce our family would never be the same it was I know the most painful time for my kids. It's the most painful time for all of us. It was horrible, but it was what I believed I needed. I moved, got a new job, started a new life, but still 
in the midst of all of this, I was still a very broken person. Nothing had ever been dealt with. Nothing had ever been resolved. Nothing had healed. The first couple of years were good. Um, felt happy. It was really good. But the shame and the guilt, I was barely seeing my boys. It was just, it became not good quickly after the good few years. I started getting to a place that I just, I didn't even believe my kids liked me anymore. I had lost all the friends that I had had. Just even began to wonder what in the world was I even thinking? And at times would have done anything to go back several years and just start again. So I stayed there, stuck for the next 16 years. Mother's Day had always been hard, had always been difficult and bittersweet. But now it had become intolerable. As I watched that story, I asked myself the question, how does someone even survive that, much less have a comeback story from that? As I reflect on Kathy's story today on Mother's Day, what I see and what we just heard about was a story that deals with a lot of trauma. And trauma is not something that I think we like to talk about. It's not something that um, is enjoyable to process sometimes, but I think it's necessary. So what I want us to do today in the little bit of time that we have left is I want us to dive into this idea of trauma. And so I talked to our counseling team this week and I just said, hey, you guys are a lot smarter than me. I said, help, help me with a very clear definition of what trauma is. Because I think sometimes when my mind thinks trauma, I think of like an ER visit and then it kind of stops there. But trauma is so much more than that. And so they sent this very simple definition for us today. Simply this, trauma is an emotional response to a terrible event such as abuse, an accident, or natural disaster. And I think I wanna use that definition as kind of the, the direction for us to take the thing that I want us to process and begin to think about because the reality is, is that this is a growing problem in our world. 75% of all humans will experience some sort of trauma in their life. And 25% of those will experience significant PTSD. One out of every three women reported some sort of physical or sexual abuse in their life. Up to this point in time, one out of every six men have reported, that's reported, some sort of physical or sexual abuse in their life. And I think that as a church, more than any organization, any government, any political party, I believe that the church has a mandate from God to speak about it. And not just to speak about it, but to understand and recognize that we have a resource in the Holy Spirit and we have power to speak the name of Jesus over hurt, over pain, over trauma. And the reason that we want to focus and impress into that today is because I also know this, that there is an enemy and he wants to continue to speak lies to you to keep you in that place stuck. Just like Kathy just described, stuck, feeling trapped, overwhelmed, dealing with the trauma, stuck in your pain, stuck in abuse, dealing with some of the baggage, feeling dismissed, isolated, hopeless in a place that there's no recovery 
from. So let's wrap our minds for just a minute on what does it look like to experience a comeback when your setback is traumatic? What does it look like to have a comeback when your setback is traumatic? And we have a choice to make as we think about that. The choice is simply this. We're gonna see this in a story we're gonna look at briefly, but we have a choice today to choose desolation or deliverance. And I, I want you to know that I wanna be really delicate and careful today because I know that this is heavy. But I think on Mother's Day, there's something already heavy about Mother's Day for a lot of us. And so as I, as I talk about this, know that I don't wanna be irresponsible, inconsiderate, but I do believe that there's some steps that we can take together, whether we're feeling the trauma, whether we've walked through some of the experiences of our past or not, we can walk through this together. That's what the church is charged to do. And so the story we're gonna pick up real quick is in 2 Samuel chapter 13. And I'm gonna read you the first part of this story and then we'll look at the desolation that we see in this woman's life. It's a story of a woman named Tamar. She was the daughter of King David. So she's living as royalty. She is part of the royal family. Also in the story is her father, David, Amnon, her brother, and Absalom, one of her other brothers. And the story picks up like this, and this is a, this is a heavy story. I understand that, but just, just stick with me as we walk through this. Look what it says in verse 11. I'm gonna read it to you. It's not gonna be on the screen. I just wanna read this quickly. It says, when she brought them to him to eat, she's bringing food to Amnon. Amnon had un inappropriate desires for his sister. And so he had schemed a way to get his sister alone with himself. And he did that by asking her to cook him a meal because he said he didn't feel well. And so she does as she thinks she's supposed to do for a brother that she deeply cares about, that she trusts. He says, when she brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, my sister. But she answered, no, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. As for me, where could I get rid of my reproach? And as for you, you will be like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. She's reasoning with him. She's trying to say, listen, this isn't what you want to do. This is not what I, I want to do. This is not okay. She even says, go reason with our father, the king, and maybe even he'll come and bail me out and won't let this situation happen. And then in verse 14, it says, however, he would not listen to her since he was stronger than she. He violated her and laid with her. It's a devastating story for Tamar. And we see an interesting response in her life as a result of what she's experienced, a traumatic experience, abuse from someone she trusted. And then look what it says in verse 20, if you skip down, what is the result for Tamar's life? It says this, it says, so Tamar remained and was desolate in her brother Absalom's house. You see, we have the choice today to choose. We have the choice to choose desolation or choose deliverance. Tamar finds herself in a desolate situation, lonely, separated. We see this, we can unpack this as we look at verse 18. We begin to kind of see what's going on in her life. Look what it says. This is after this has happened. Her brother has pushed her out and says, you have to go. And it says, now she had a long sleeved garment for in this manner, 
the virgin daughters of the king dress themselves in robes. It's important for us to understand. She is wearing the clothing of royalty. This is who she is. She's a daughter of the king. It's important that we recognize the significance of this. She's wearing a robe that represents who she is, represents her value, her worth. She's part of the royal family. It continues on. Then his attendant took her out and locked the door behind her. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her long sleeve garment, which was on her. She puts ashes on her head. She finds herself in a place where trauma often leads us, a place of hopelessness. The ashes on her head represent this deep anguish, unbelievable situation that she's walking through that leads her to a place where she feels helpless. She's been robbed of something. Something has been taken from her, from somebody who had power over her, over her that did not have any regard for how she felt and what this would mean for her life. And so what she does is she takes ashes and puts them on her head and she takes the royal garments and she rips it off. Tamar forgets who she is. Yes, she's a victim, but she begins to take on the identity of the victim, failing to remember that no one ever told her she's not a daughter of the king, but because of the traumatic experience she had, she began to believe that's who she was. And as she believed in who she thought that she was, it began, it began to give her a different view of her future. She was hopeless. Because in this day, when a situation would happen like this, there would be no hope for her to ever be married, to ever have a family. She was hopeless. Oftentimes, women in this situation would find themselves in a place where they would rather die. This is where Tamar finds herself, and this matters for us today because we can fall into the same mindset sometimes, believing that there's nothing in our days ahead of us. There's nothing in the future beyond today that looks good. Everything looks impossible, stuck overwhelmed with negative thoughts about ourselves, overwhelmed with negative thoughts about the world, about others, it's paralyzing. When traumatic situations take place in our lives, it actually stunts the way that we develop as a child. It impacts our emotional development, it impacts our intellectual development when we go through something incredibly traumatic. There's healing that can take place. We see that here in just a few minutes. There's hope and I'm gonna show you that. But not only does Tamar experienced hopelessness. Not only do we experience hopelessness in, as a result of a traumatic experience that we walk through, but she also experiences heartbreak. Tamar's heartbroken. Look what it says in this next verse. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her long sleeve garment, which was on her, and she put her hand on her head and went away, crying aloud as she went. She is devastated. Somebody that she trusted that was supposed to have her best interest in mind has taken advantage of her, has taken something from her. She had to be thinking, I cannot believe this has happened to me. I imagine Tamar felt helpless. Like, where was everybody else? Why didn't somebody help her? Completely confused, disoriented, not sure why she found herself in this situation, grieving the missed expectations of the family she dreamed of having one day. She is in a place where she is completely devastated. She's in a heart, she's in a, in a hurtful place feeling like part of her life has been robbed from her. And I know that we can walk through similar situations, whether it's the, the devastating divorce or the loss of someone close to us that we had no control over, the broken relationships, the broken trust, the betrayal that we feel from those that we thought cared deeply about us. And here's what's crazy is on days like today, Mother's Day, 
sometimes those things can be the most overwhelming. I gotta be honest, I, I really wrestled with whether or not this message was supposed to land on Mother's Day and I almost didn't do it. Even last night, I was laying in my bed at midnight last night and it was almost like the enemy was saying, this, this, this isn't something you need to talk about. But I think it is because I think Mother's Day can be a difficult day for many because it reminds us of some of the hurt and the pain. Maybe it wasn't even traumatic, but there's hurt there. There's disappointment, there's grief, there's heartbreak. And we have to be careful because what happens when it, when it begins to rise to the surface and we begin to feel that hurt again, we can respond in different ways. For some of us, we respond by putting walls up because people have hurt us. And so if we can just put walls up around our life, we can keep people at an arm's distance and it prevents us from ever experiencing the same kind of hurt again. Or maybe it's the complete other opposite extreme where you've experienced something, you've experienced loss, and so you spend your life trying to fulfill or fill that void that's there because of what you lost. You heard Kathy talk about that in her video this morning, talking about the fear of being alone and unloved, driving the decisions that she made. I don't say that to call her out. I say that because I can identify with that. We all can identify with that. It's a result of trauma in our life, and this is what Tamar is experiencing the hopelessness, the heartbreak, and then the hidden hurts. Look what it says in this next verse. Then Absalom, her brother, said to her, has Amnon, your brother, been with you? But now, this is devastating, but now keep silence, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this matter to heart. Are, are, you, are you kidding me? Don't take this matter to heart? So Tamar remained and was desolate in her brother Absalom's house, hiding, hiding the hurt, hiding the pain, not dealing with the loss. If you continue to read the story in the very next verse, her dad, King David, finds out. What does he do? Nothing. Can you imagine? She's hurting, so she just pushes it down. And I imagine that in that moment, she begins to process and begins to think, I I can't talk about this. If I talk about this, what will people think? What kind of shame will that bring onto my life? Will people understand me? Will they just simply dismiss it? What will the impact be in my life? And probably gets to a place where we can get to sometimes where we actually begin to take on the responsibility as we continue to push down the hurt, not letting anybody know, not being vulnerable, we begin to feel it. We begin to think, maybe there was something I did to deserve this. Maybe there was something I did that allowed this to happen. I just wanna be real clear in this story that Tamar had zero responsibility for what happened in her life. She was a victim. She finds her place in a place of isolation and desolation, and it's incredibly dangerous because when we get there in our isolation, in our shame, in the unrealistic guilt we can find ourselves in a place of depression where we begin to respond to the feelings that we're feeling. We're feeling some of the chaos. We're feeling some of the pain. And so we begin to self-medicate. We begin to um, lash out. We begin to repeat some of the behaviors that we've experienced ourselves. We all can understand that. We've all probably seen that or experienced it ourselves. And here's what maybe is the most tragic is we live in a culture, especially in the decades before, I think it's getting a little bit better, where we'll hear something like, hey, you just need to to move on. 
We just need to suck it up and, and get over it and just move on. But, you know, we don't say that to someone who has pulled over on the side of the road because they've been hit by an 18-wheeler and their arm is broken in multiple places. We do what we need to do to get them help. And the same is true when we deal with emotional pain. I just wanna say this to, to maybe the only person that needs to hear this, but I believe multiple need to hear this. Many in this room and online maybe need to hear this. Your darkest secret does not have to be your death sentence. There's hope. There's hope for your healing. There's hope for your pain. There's restoration that can come as a result. And the reason that I feel confident in that is because what I read in Isaiah chapter 61, so I'm gonna turn there because that's gone. Technology's great until it doesn't work. Isaiah chapter 61 says this, and I'm just gonna need you to listen loudly as I say this loudly. Isaiah is writing to the people of Israel in a time where they're feeling hopeless, where they're experiencing pain, feeling hurt, and he's speaking this to them, but he's prophesying the arrival of Jesus 700 years before his arrival. And he says this to them, and here's what's interesting about this passage before I read it. Isaiah 61 is the same passage of scripture that Jesus himself reads in the temple in Luke chapter four. So you can go and read that this week and see what Jesus is saying in Luke chapter four. So imagine Jesus 700 years after this has been prophesied, saying these words himself, speaking these words of truth into this world saying, I am the one that is here to do this. This is why I speak the name of Jesus over our hurt today. It's because of what I see in Isaiah chapter 61. It says this, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Jesus, imagine Jesus saying that, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. That word afflicted means hopeless. Jesus arrived on mission with good news. There is good news for you today. I speak Jesus over your hopelessness today. You're feeling the affliction and what Jesus does is Jesus wants to renew your hope. He wants to give you a different future than the future that you currently see for yourself. That's what this passage is saying. He's saying, you don't have to live as the afflicted for the rest of your life. Jesus arrived for something different. It continues on. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. I speak Jesus over your heartbreak today. The pain, the grief because of something, something maybe you've lost in the past. I speak Jesus over that. Jesus wants to restore what's been broken in your life. That's what this verse is pointing us to. That's what Jesus arrived to do. And then it says, he proclaimed liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. You've got some hidden hurt today. You've got some secrets that you've pressed down and said, I don't think I can tell anybody about this. I can't talk about this. It would be devastating. What Jesus does is he provides protection for us to bring freedom in our life from the secrets that we carry because we're not sure that anybody would ever want to be around us again if we let them in on the secrets of our lives. Jesus came to provide hope in that. It says to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn to grant those who mourn in Zion. And then listen, man, I, I wish you could see this verse, but just listen. And think about this in the context of Tamar. Ashes on her head, ashamed, grieving, heartbroken, hopeless. 
And this is what Jesus does. As I speak Jesus over the situations in your life, this is what Jesus wants to do, giving them a crown instead of ashes, beauty instead of ashes, garland instead of ashes. We've heard that phrase. If you've been around church stuff for very long, you've heard something like beauty from ashes, but that's not really what this is saying. It's saying there's an exchange. Jesus says, hey, give me the ashes, your shame, the hurt, the pain, the grief that you're experiencing, and I'm gonna replace it with a crown. Here's why that's important. Tamar forgot who she was. She forgot that she was a daughter of the king. She tore her garment off. She left it behind and she was hopeless. Jesus arrives and says, no, 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 no. Let's brush the ashes off your head. I'm gonna put the crown back on your head because you are a son of the king. You are a daughter of the king. It's a reminder of who we are. It continues on, it says, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. Simply put, that's just simply glad to be alive today. Jesus begins to heal us so that we experience that, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, to be able to stand and praise and speak up and speak out. It's hard to do that when there's trauma, when there's pain. Tamar couldn't do that, but Jesus provides a different way. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. I love that it says oaks of righteousness because when I think of an oak tree, I think of strength. I I think of life. I think of nourishment, growing in who God wants us to be. That is what Jesus accomplishes for us. But it says oaks, plural. Why? Because you weren't meant to grow and heal and make progress in who God is calling you to be all by yourself. Growth doesn't happen in solitary confinement. He brings us together to walk together so that when you start to feel weak in those moments where hopelessness or hurt or heartbreak or the hidden secrets in our lives begin to take its toll, you've got a brother or a sister, family around you that can say, hey, we got this. They may not be blood related to you, but they're related because they are trusting the same God that you trust. That's what it looks like to have, to be oaks of righteousness. But what does he do in all of that? It says, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Here's what Jesus does. Here's the truth I want you to just wrap your mind around. You don't have to be identified by what happened to you or happens to you, but instead by who you belong to. What happens to you doesn't define you. It's who you belong to that changes us, that shakes us up. It makes us think of something different. This is the truth of Isaiah chapter 61. He begins to change our identity and then he changes our story. And here's what happens. He takes your greatest mess and he turns it into your greatest message. He takes the biggest struggle in your life and he turns it into the most miraculous story. And it's not a story for your glory, but it's a story for his glory. And as people see God's glory at work in your life, it begins to rewrite their story and they begin to experience the same freedom that you experienced in Jesus. It's this incredible picture of healing. God wants to use your story to set other people free. But before that, he wants to set you free but there's a step that you maybe need to take. Will you trust him? Will you trust your heavenly father who sent Jesus so that you could have freedom? You may not be closer 
to freedom in the days ahead than you are right now. You maybe have never been closer to freedom than you are right now. And all you need to do is begin to take that step. And as you take that step, there's gonna be another step. And that first step is just to simply trust Jesus. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. But maybe the next step for some of you is you've, you've decided to trust Jesus, but you haven't experienced the full life and growth and strength that you feel like you were supposed to have as you begin to walk with him. And the reason is because you're trying to do it in solitary confinement. And maybe the next step that you're to take is to step out of that confinement, out of that desolation, and to connect with other people, to go from being a face in the crowd or sitting behind a computer screen, listening to these things, desiring these things, but to begin to connect with other people. That's what home teams are all about. Maybe the next step for you is to jump into the couples intensive that's happening this Friday. There's just a few spots left for that. Your marriage is on the the brink of divorce. There's still hope there. Maybe that's the event that we have coming up this coming Sunday, a week from today during this service at 1130 called Comeback Freedom. Here's what this is. I know for a fact there are some here today that you are wrestling with some significant hurt, dealing with some loss, and maybe you've never ever tried to to wrestle through it, to try to find healing from it. All this is is an opportunity for you to sit and listen to our licensed counselors walk through some steps that you can begin to take to find healing. There's absolutely no obligation to speak You don't have to tell anybody your story. You don't have to give any details about who you are. You just simply need to show up. What is your next step? Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna do, I didn't do this in the first hour and I wish I would have, but I'm gonna ask everybody that has a phone to take this out because I realized after the 9.30 service that there may even be some fear of disclosing that maybe you're hurting. And so by everybody taking their phone out, it gives you some freedom to take that next step because maybe it's terrifying to take that step and people know that you're taking that step. That step is simply to text best you to 97,000. And when you do that, you'll click on the link and there's a connection card there. And I'm just gonna ask that everybody do this. And maybe you're like, this is ridiculous. Here's why you are doing it. You're doing this so that you can help maybe the person down your row who is struggling to take the step that God is longing for them to take today. And by you doing what they need to do, it's giving them more confidence to do what they need to do to find healing, to experience freedom. So take your phone out and just do that and check whatever box it is for you that's your next step. And I promise you, this place will walk with you, whatever that is. We started our teaching time today with the story of Kathy, and it's a powerful story, but you didn't really get to hear much of the comeback story. So I'm gonna invite Kathy to come back up on the stage in person live today. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible story that's been happening in her life over the last few years. She was in a place where she was hopeless, where her future looked impossible. But I can say this from knowing her life and talking to her, that she's in a place now where there's, there's some hope. She's certainly a work in progress, she would tell you that. But there's hope. Her future doesn't look impossible anymore. There's possibilities ahead of her. But here's why this story is so important. This isn't just Kathy's story, but this is my mom's story. And my mom has taken some incredible steps. We can clap for her. Let's go ahead and do that or it's awkward. I was thinking about this and I've already told her this and I told her this in the last hour, but I'm so incredibly proud of my mom. Just a few weeks ago, I was sitting in my office at home preparing for the first message of the comeback season teaching series. 
and it was her birthday. She was turning 28, and I decided that she needed to know that I was thankful for her. And I started typing this text in the context of some of what we've been talking through during the comeback series. I said, Mom, I'm proud of you. And I don't know that I've said that in maybe decades. And I said that because in 2018, she made a decision. She took some steps because she said, I am not going to let this be the rest of my life. And so she literally left everything. And she left it behind and focused on what God was calling her to. She couldn't see what was ahead of her. She didn't know how difficult some of the days ahead of her were going to be, but she knew that God was calling her to take that step. And here's what's awesome is now she's in the place that she's in because she took that step. And we've seen God's faithfulness over the last few years. We've talked about this a lot the last couple of weeks. So we've been processing all of her story. But her, God's, God's faithfulness has been real. He has provided for her every need. We were laughing and realized this. Um, she used to pray for us every night. She said that in her story. She used to pray for us every night when we were kids. And it kind of annoyed us, to be honest, when we were little kids, because we're like, Mom, I'm ready to go to sleep. But she would scratch our back the whole time. So I was like, okay, Mom, you can just keep praying. Don't stop. Just, just pray for whatever you need to. But she always prayed for some specific things. She always prayed that we would know the love of God. And Mom, I'm thankful for that, because I think God's been faithful to answer that prayer. She always prayed that we would know that her love was strong for us, that my dad's love was strong for us. And I think I'm confident of that. God has been faithful in that. She always prayed for our wives, that God would take care of them. He would protect them wherever they were in the world. And God has been faithful in that. We were, we were talking about this. And um, in this journey, in this comeback journey that she's been on, it's been interesting. She prayed for my wife and I ended up marrying a smoking hot wife. So thank you for praying for my wife. That, I really am grateful because she's way out of my league. But she's also a licensed professional counselor. And honestly, with some of the baggage that I think I was still carrying that we've carried together, it wasn't me. I'm no hero in the story because there's a lot of neglect that I didn't probably do anything with to help her in her comeback journey. But my wife did. And God knew that my mom would need that. And he provided that. That's God's faithfulness at work. And so I know right now, I'm gonna stop talking. I just want you to share because I know you wanted to share something with everybody today before we wrap this up. Um, but mom, I'm proud of you. I'm thankful for the journey you're on. I'm thankful for this place. So share with everybody a little bit, maybe somebody that's connecting with your story, what would you say to them? I know that the most difficult thing to do when you're stuck in pain and you're stuck with the trauma of your past is to take that first step towards reaching out and towards healing and freedom, whether it's talking to someone for the first time or just jumping back into church. I know the thoughts that can run through your head. Will I be judged? Will anyone listen or will they just dismiss me? Will they push me out like Tamar? Will I be welcomed? I'm confident that God will give you the courage to take that first step. He so wants to bring you healing. His mercy and his grace are great. And how do I know this? Because I'm living proof of that. I was hopeless and a comeback story for me looked impossible. I thought it might be better for everyone if I just wasn't here anymore. It has not been easy since that first day, but still, um, God in his great mercy and compassion was right there when I took that first step. Because of his grace, the future looks clearer and brighter, promising for the first time in a very long time. God knew that from a very young age, 
I need to hear, I needed to hear, always remember that Jesus loves you, sugar. My grandmother would say to me often, I never forgot that. He was so concerned for my healing. He's so concerned for your healing. I encourage you today to take that first step when it hurts and when you don't think it's, it's possible, you can feel fear grip you. Take, take that little bit of faith and just step out. He's right there. Know he sees you. Know that you are his daughter. Know that you are his son. You belong to him. You are his. He has something better for you. Just trust him and take that step. If any part of my story hits home with you, if you've never talked to anyone about it, you've never told anyone any of it, I encourage you to reach out to someone today. I know it's scary. I know it's a risk. I know that, but I'm confident that that risk will be worth it. I think you will be surprised. And also that this place is a safe place. If you get to be that someone that someone reaches out to today, will you just be with them along the way? Will you just step out with them, listen to them, and help them get past their fears and their insecurities about their story? God is a faithful and loving Father. Thanks, Mom. Love you. Proud of you. Where do we land this today? I think the right place to land it is just to simply trust Jesus. I think my mom would tell you that, to take that next step, to connect, to come back, to connect here. Her home team has been life for her. I think for the first time in a long time, she's, she feels loved regardless of her past, regardless of anything about her life before now. And I'm so thankful for that. But that's not just for her, that's for all of us. So here's what I would just say, thinking about that passage that I read just a little bit ago, I want us to think about what it would look like just to speak Jesus over our situations. And the reason we do that, we're gonna take communion, we're gonna end our time. And I know that you're thinking, man, it's, it's time for Mother's Day lunch, Wes, and it is. You're gonna have Mother's Day lunch in just a few minutes, but I want us to remember Jesus through communion because there's something important to remember, especially as we're dealing with pain and loss. As I was preparing for the Good Friday service a few weeks ago, I was reading in John chapter 19, and this never stuck out to me this way before. But Jesus, who arrived on this earth, described as the man of sorrows, he knows what it's like to hurt, goes to the cross, and I've always known that he was on the cross and that he was, uh, he was naked and, and didn't have any clothes on, but I didn't realize something. And I was reading John chapter 19, it says that they took his clothes from him. And that just hit me different. He was exposed, he was exploited by other people. The reason that that just shook me up is because it reminds me, he knows that pain. When you look at the cross of Jesus, you see the full extent of the evil in this world. But likewise, when you look at the cross of Jesus, you see the infinite love of our heavenly father. You see and you're reminded that Jesus is God with us in our hurt, in our pain, in our grief, in our trauma, in our loneliness. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take communion and we're gonna sing this song. And here's what I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask that, that you, would, you would jump in and participate in this. This might be the, the most powerful moment of our time together today.
Because here's what I think might be happening. There might be some here today and you're like, I can't speak Jesus today. It hurts too much. That's okay. That's what we're here for. And maybe today there's people around you that need to sing out for you. That need to be examples of Jesus for you so that one day you can speak Jesus. So let's sing this song. Let's remember Jesus through communion and let Jesus do what only he, Jesus, can do to push back the hopelessness and the heartbreak and the hidden hurt. God, we love you. We trust you. We thank you for today. We thank you for this time that we get to spend together. God, right now, I know that there's a lot of hurt that's probably represented in this room. I just pray for healing. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to take the steps that you are calling us to take right now. And so as we speak the name of Jesus into our situations, would the power of the Holy Spirit work in the ways that only it can work? I pray for breakthrough, for life change, for freedom in this moment. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.